Hi, everyone. It's Jaime Alejandro, and I'm here with the Arts Calling Podcast, the showcase of independent creatives in the literary, visual, and performing arts. I apologize. I wasn't able to get some episodes out in the last week due to COVID. My family got hit pretty hard, and so now that we are on the mend, we can get back on track, and we have two amazing conversations coming to you this week. So the first one is a special one because the tables are being turned on me. So I am becoming the guest for today's episode, and I am joined by friend of the show, Shahab Zargari, to talk me through it. We had a wonderful time looking back at the last 100 plus episodes of Arts Calling and learning a little bit more about what has taken place here and what I'm hoping for in the future. This was a delightful conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And now about our return guest. Shahab Zargari is an award-winning Iranian-American filmmaker and administrative faculty member of the UNLV College of Fine Arts. After years of creating original short-form streaming content, Shahab made his directorial debut with the Philip K. Dick adaptation, The Crystal Crypt, an official selection of the San Diego Comic-Con International Independent Film Festival. He continued to hone his craft, creating original films, music videos, and a multitude of commissioned works. Shahab's short films, My Name is Art and Oh the Guilt, garnered a dozen awards from a variety of prestigious festivals, including official selection to Amazon's inaugural All Voices Film Festival, a digital festival celebrating underrepresented communities. Currently, the docu-dance short, The UNLV Show-Up Project, is making rounds in the film festival circuit. Check out the link in the episode description for more information about my guest, and let's get started. Yep, yep. I think we're good to go. How's it going, man? Good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for for taking the time to do this and for this wild idea that you had. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm glad you were receptive to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh thank you for your Jedi mind tricks. I don't know what you're doing up there, <laughs> but uh I guess we're going to try to make it work. <laughs> well, at the end of you know, every time you've had me on at the end, you've always been like, "You should come back." And and I'm always like, Hmm. You know, what would be the opportune time to do that? And I think this is this is perfect, right? So Okay. Uh the podcast so, has now, you know, you you've gone past 100 episodes. What what's it at at the current time as we're taping this? As we're taping this, it's 120 episodes. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I I can't really believe it. I mean, it's it's been such a a blessing to to get to just follow the instinct and then have it be what it's become. And not that it's become like some huge like business enterprise or whatever. It's still a labor of love about getting to meet new people, new interesting creatives who are very passionate about what they do. And it's so infectious. I mean, there's so many lessons that I've learned and mostly affirmations at this point, but they're all good. They always feel good. So so let's, let's get into the first question that I have uh, that a lot of burning minds might know. Or might want to know, why did you start it in in the first place? I mean, was this a COVID thing? I mean, you know, what was what was the impetus? Yeah, yeah. So I guess I should backtrack by by stating that I mean, I've I've been around audio and technology my entire life. My dad's a musician. He was always kind of a gearhead. He always fixed equipment and did that sort of thing. So being in this environment with a microphone in my face and hitting the record button has always been very organic to me. Now, 
because I spent a lot of time uh, doing playwriting and other kinds of creative things, uh, I did videography and stuff like that. I felt like I hadn't found the thing that worked for me. And so to me, during the pandemic, I felt like I had gone back to basics and I started thinking about the things that actually made me happy. And I went back in time to when I was a kid. And the first things that I was doing when I got my first tape recorder is I was interviewing people. I interviewed my dad, what it was like to be a musician. I interviewed my cousins, you know, what's it like to be a kid. Okay. So real interviews, not, not like make believe like you were actually interviewing people. Yeah. I was actually interviewing people, you know, and I, I was just kind of, uh, you know, kind of driven to, to go and record things and, and kind of figure that out alongside with writing and things. And after several efforts of podcasting before 2020, I took a little break and as the pandemic was, was taking on, I was like, this seems like the perfect time to go back to something that, that really kind of speaks to me and, and feels like I'm kind of in my comfort zone. So, I, I mean, I, I just started being honest with myself around, around mm-hmm. that time and, and luckily it kind of worked out. And so how did you look for and find your first guest? Oh, friends at the beginning. I mean, uh, being a theater person, you know, my, my friends, a voiceover person or my friends, a writer or another Mm -hmm. playwright or this or that. And it didn't take long. I mean, I think by episode seven, I I started getting some inquiries because I I posted on Twitter and X, I guess, whatever the hell it is now. And honestly, without Twitter, I, this podcast wouldn't really be a thing just because it, it, Mm. I, I guess I locked into the writing community and, uh, at such a time that everyone was kind of looking for something. And now, e- even though it's arts calling, I think a majority of the episodes have been with poets and writers who are just f- brilliant, phenomenal people. And because I'm playing the long game, I mean, I'll, I'll have a chance to talk to to more people like yourself, you know, more musicians and and filmmakers and and interesting people but i mean our connection was twitter as well yeah yeah you know reagan was like hey uh i think you two should do something you know and it's funny i owe reagan so much because she was one of my first guests i think she was episode seven she might have been the first or second person that i didn't know who joined me on the podcast. So, uh, I mean, she, she is definitely a friend of the show. Shout out to Reagan. Shout out Reagan. <laughs> you, you help build the foundation of this, uh, whatever this is, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just very, very thrilled because I feel like it's allowed me to open my brain and, and mm-hmm. look beyond my nose and realize that there's people who are going through the same struggles that I am, which is to find time to make shit to be involved, to, to try to be a better human being. And I'm like, I don't know. It just feels, it feels good. It feels comfortable, which hasn't been, (laughs) which hasn't been my default. You know, I gotta be honest. Um, and you know what? I think sometimes creatives need that because I, I feel like internally we're, we're comparing ourselves with everyone else. We're, we're thinking that other people have all the success when in fact, they're probably paying off uh, an advance that they got from the publisher or, you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Like everyone yeah. is living their own personal hell kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 when you realize that you're like, Oh, okay, well I'm not alone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where the anomaly kind of begins because for me, I've always seen creativity and storytelling as an opportunity to engage with somebody else so that they could imbue their own creativity into what I'm doing. So I, I love, collaborative work. I love devising. I love things that allow people to come in once I've set up a premise or a goal or a thing, 
that's why like um i i have done films you know i've i've done uh two full lengths you know that are very no budget hyper indie and the greatest pleasure that i always have is when i get to work with actors who have a drive to bring their own thing you know uh not not to be combative or anything but just to to present what they want to share and i've been in situations where maybe that hasn't been the case and and it just doesn't feel like that's how i want to operate i feel mm-hmm. like we have to have room and just because you you don't have the final say on something doesn't make you less of a director or less of a you know competent storyteller you're just providing the canvas for people to to really bring it and and you and know, anybody who's want. familiar with theater and film yeah, I mean, yeah it really is yeah so many people and so many fingerprints you know and that's just what makes it better and i i think that's that's where it comes from i mean i mm-hmm. you know i come from a family of performers musicians and stuff like that but my training is in in writing and directing for the theater which is pure collaboration and the like it's like the exaltation of community it's like holy shit not only are you collaborating with the performers and the behind the scenes stuff, but you're working with the audience and you're, you're transcending together and everything feels ecstatic and everything feels amazing, you know? And it's just like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, not everything's going to be like that, but, but that's sort of the, the expectation, you know, that's the, the gold standard. Now I I do have a a few more questions about the podcast, but before we go there, I I do want to say, you know, you know, my background is all film, television, that kind of thing. And so even though I, I had, you know, uh, friends who were in theater, I wasn't really in that world. Yeah. Uh, Twenty End of 2016 was when I got my first contract with uh, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas oh, okay. at the College of Fine Arts. And so I'm, you know, working with art, film, theater, you know, all the different departments and it was in working with the theater department that I uh, first found out something interesting that you know maybe to our listeners is like, oh yeah, I already knew that. So you know when you when you're directing a film, I mean you're kind of involved from the beginning to the end. The one thing that kind of and, and you know again you you were in it so you know, but the thing that blew my mind was that with a director of a play or musical. Opening night is when you're done. Then the stage manager <laughs> takes over. I'm like, what? That was I yeah. would be so nervous to give up my baby, but that's that's just the world that it is, you know. Like right. you're you're in there from the beginning, the table reads sure. through, you know, tech rehearsal, dress rehearsal, and then opening night, you're done. Wow, that's yeah. Cool. And, and in in some respects, I mean, that is the antithesis of film because it is so ephemeral at that point that you have to surrender. You, you know that you've done everything you can and, and, you know, it's sort of like the, the monks who are, who work on, on those, uh, what, what is it? The, uh, the dust paintings, you know, where they, where they do the colors and stuff. And then when they're done, they just blow it away. That's theater. That is the, the, the beauty of it. Yeah. Because the work, the work dissipates and you had to be there to experience it. And I think that is the the great opportunity that people have when it comes to theater now is that everything is permanent right now and you have everything at your fingertips, but how brilliant it is to see something that is only there for a limited time that you get to, to experience, you know, again, and I, I project a lot of like spiritual things to it, but I, I find that it's, it's easy to do so when it's something that is so precious like that. 
but I could also be really mm-hmm. full of it though. I could be, I could be very like, <laughs> you know, like uh, trying to ham yeah. it up and, and really believe that it's something greater than it is. Which sometimes you yeah. have to. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so when I contacted you, I was like, Hey man, we're going to flip the script. I'm going to interview you. <laughs> uh, you know, I told you to kind of sort of prepare, you know, hopefully you can, you know, if you need to you know, take a minute to think of this, but you know, in the hundred plus episodes that you've done, mm-hmm. um, you know, writers, uh, you know, musicians, filmmakers. If you look back at the entire body of work, have there been patterns, uh, either in like people's answers or just themes? Yeah. Well, I would say that the biggest lesson that I've personally learned, which I believe is useful to anyone who might be listening, is that you do your best work when you love yourself. Um, and I know that as artists, we have a proclivity to, to come from a place of hurt, um, from not loving ourselves and to, to berate ourselves or crucify ourselves for our art, which sometimes comes with the territory. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it comes with the territory, but I find that the, the more well-adjusted folks who are able to transcend and really treat the work like like work, like a discipline, they begin with self-love, they overcome those things. And then when there's emotional things happening in life, that's when you channel it like a lightning rod and then you put it to, to pen to paper or you hit the record button or you start strumming or whatever it is. Um, that seems to be um, the, the progression where it begins with a personal healing and then you, you arrive to that kind of conclusion. And then otherwise, uh, I think that, that learning what works for you, even though it may not be the popular answer, uh, whether you, you're getting advice from the internet and especially now, that would be the second thing. Understanding that sometimes you have to craft your own artistic path. And that means disregarding wisdom that you may have received from college professors or other educators or the thing that your mentors or the thing that you hear on the internet. And that is precious. I mean, to really have the, the wherewithal, the trust in yourself to follow that path. That's, that's a blessing. That's a huge thing. And lastly, I think, I think understanding that creativity and self-expression, that calling, is something that may not bring you fame. I think it is It is such a damaging thing that sometimes young folks have a, a, this expectation that, as you were saying, we're, we're seeing the curated aspects of, of successful people's you know, life. And we don't understand that there are thousands upon hundreds of thousands upon millions of creatives who are finding their way to allow their creativity to exist without being famous. And that is just as relevant. That is Mm -hmm. just as important because they're still generating connections and their writing is still being seen. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be seen. If it's a a private, tiny thing, the act of creation is, is a, is a beautiful thing. And that is no less important than somebody who just had a billion dollars at the box office. I genuinely believe that. And of course, I'm also probably delusional, but I'm okay (laughs) with, with that feeling that, Listen, I've carved out life for my creativity and my work to provide for my family. And I'm there for my kid. I'm there for my wife and my family and friends. What else can I ask for in this in this chaotic cosmic world? That's that's 
And even, you know, even sometimes, you know, so uh, when Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio came out, mm. um, the MoMA in New York did an exhibition, you know, it's probably oh, all the yeah. little things. And then, you know, they always have the exit through the gift shop book. Um, <laughs> I didn't go to the exhibition, but I bought the book because, you know, oh my God, love Guillermo, yeah. uh, love stop motion animation. And, you know, literally the first couple chapters of this book are about how someone who has Oscars, someone who has the trust of these big, huge Hollywood, you know, companies, nobody wanted to do it. Mm. So even us who we would deem as successful, he had to shop it around for 13 years. And that's disgraceful. I mean, the, the fact that um, the studios do it, not. So, it is, it <laughs> do is not disgraceful, but you know what? To me, it makes me feel good. I'm like, okay, well, if, yeah. if someone of that stature who I feel is already a success it has the same struggles, then okay, then I'm not alone you know, yeah. in, in doing that kind of thing. Um, the, on Instagram, I think it's – I think the handle is inspired to write. Do you know who this is? Do you follow this person? Uh, possibly. I may even be following them, but I'm not sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have to go back and look and, and, and send it to you for show notes or something, but it's just this lady and I, I don't know what her main mode of art is. I don't know if it's painting or writing or whatever it is, but almost every day she puts these mantras, these, these like almost meme esque like sayings. It's just from her journal, just different things yeah. she's saying. And it's all things like, you know, almost like what you were saying, like, okay, well if, if you've been hiding all of your work, now is the time to share it. Right, or if you, right. you know, like all these things to kind of like, and I think that's why she, her account blew up because it's yeah. so inspirational when we get so bogged down in our, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I can't make it or I'm not as successful as I want to be. It's like, no, you know what? Don't even go there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so powerful because sometimes the greatest medicine is, is to not get it from ourselves. And that's why, you know, mm -hmm. podcasts are so effective. That's why, memes and social media posts are so effective because you've had those thoughts before when you've been optimistic, when you've had a good day, but when they hit you at the right moment from somebody else who mm -hmm. genuinely crafted something to make you feel better, to try to lift you up, that's, I mean, that's, so that's a drug. I mean, it, it's, it allows you to come back up, <laughs> yeah. come back to life and, and feel rejuvenated because we need more affirmations. And I was just talking to a to a guest previously about just the idea of, of how mantras come from cliches. I mean, I, I do feel that there's there's a kernel of truth there and we dismiss it. We're so easy to be jaded when people mm -hmm. are legitimately trying to give you good, to pass on something good. And then you look at a post like that on some days and you say, this is why is this even here? I'm in a bad mood today. I don't need this shit. And, and then you dismiss it. But if you take a moment, take a breath, sometimes there's good there, you know, even if it might seem hokey at first. So that's, yeah. that's the area I want to be in. That's the world I want to navigate is just cliches and, and good feelery to balance out the madness <laughs> and the, the brutality of this world. Nice. And, and so when you're, <laughs> when you're looking back at the 120 episodes, are there any like standout moments where, you had an epiphany where you were like, oh, wow, I, I did not think this is where it would go. Oh, and then you ended up using that in your own creative work. Honestly, this is going to sound very hokey, but every episode makes me feel like I'm riding my bike and somebody just pushed me 
in the best way to keep going a little <laughs> bit faster. That uh, I Maybe feel that like boost. every conversation is a reminder that I'm going in the right direction because I haven't stopped. And one of the biggest yeah, reason, one of the biggest reasons why the podcast has been so therapeutic and helpful for me is that I tend, I used to just keep things to myself and be very secretive about sort of what my, my life is supposed to be, was supposed to be. And the moment I opened up, the moment things started flourishing a lot more. And I, I'm going to be completely honest before the pandemic, before the podcast, I, you know, things were not ideal in, in my life. Personally, I feel like I have been able to get out of the poverty mindset in terms of creativity, in terms of finance, in terms of life, all of the different facets of it. And reminded me that if you release, if you let things go and share, right? Kind of the same thing that we were talking about before. If you start sharing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what you have to offer, you won't run out. And there was a part yeah, of me that felt yeah. like, what if it's not perfect? What, what if I do run out? What if it's the last great idea I have? And there was a dry spell of, of a while. I mean, I, I had periods of on and off writing and things like that, but the moment I really started getting into these conversations and internalizing what, um, what's been said, I mean, I just, I just feel like these last two years have been the most productive I've had in my life. And I've been writing and recording most of my life, but even so this feels like this is genuine work. Now this is honest work. And that can only happen because of you, the guests. You know, you, you particularly, I, I think I had a great, I had a great epiphany because you're a multi-hyphenate. You, you wear it proudly. You are out there doing what feels right and you're sharing, you know, proudly. And, and that is a great inspiration to me. So I got to thank you because well, thank you. you, that's the sort of, the sort of model that I want to emulate. And, and it's such a pleasure, man, like listening well, to your album you watching your films online, that's, that's just infectious. And so that's the gift that you've given to me, much like, you know, a lot of the, the other guests and in, in other ways, but amazing. Now I have, I have been thinking, you know, the past six months, past year, am I oversharing? You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, 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 and not in a way of like, I, I will, you know, annoy people, but almost <laughs> to the point where, you know, I feel like I'm sharing it to show, these are my strengths. Mm. The, if, if we're going to collaborate or if you want to hire me, you know, right. I can do film, I can do animation, but you know, maybe not bring me on as the director of a play kind yeah. of thing. Right. So like, these are my strengths, are, but it almost feels like, and I could be totally wrong, you know, and it's just self analyzing. And like you said, like mm -hmm. beating myself up, does you know it is is me oversharing making people think I've reached success, uh -huh. and so they cannot collaborate with me, or I'm too expensive for them to hire me, which neither are the case. Yeah. But is that what they're taking from my oversharing? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I'm starting to feel that you know where people it's almost like they're like, oh well, you have enough or. Right. You're you're where you want to be, and I'm not. You know? Right. I don't think as artists we're ever. Yeah. where we want to be. It was always the next thing. Yeah, so, and, and that is such I a... I don't know. What, it's a complex question, right? Because I struggle with that every single day, you know, with the podcast and some of the other things that I'm working on, but I'm realizing, and this has been affirmed by these types of conversations with the guests, that 
we we are a gradient, right? It's not a black and white thing. And it especially is dictated by the type of work that you're doing and the type of, of service that you are. I mean, we're serving in different ways, right? I feel like I, I, I would act more like a nonprofit for myself because I, I don't, podcasting, you know, unless you're famous, isn't really a money-making endeavor, right? It's not a thing that's going to make me rich or whatever. So for me, I don't, I'm not looking for that. And so I don't expect to use myself as a brand to be the product, to promote the podcast and this or that, the podcast just is. Whereas if you are working as, if your intention is to be a working professional in an industry such as yourself, who, who already is in, in a production industry, that's a, a, a service and a business within this capitalist society. And so you got to play by the rules and you got to use every yeah. angle, right? And if that's the game that you're playing, you got to play by the rules. And so the further you move away from that, you've got to find your own gradient and you, you, you know, you have a little bit more freedom, but the closer you get to that goal of, of being in the, the creative, I guess, capitalist complex or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's what you got to do. And so promoting yourself as a brand, I mean, that is a strategy. And I do think that it's costly personally, because you, you do give away the secret sauce, I think, you know, like, don't you think that's kind of what happens? Like you, you sort of wither away because you're spread out too thin the more you post. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And I, and maybe that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's good. I'm, I'm glad I brought that up because yeah. I, you know, but it's, but it's, kind of a tough thing to... it's so tough because now you're expected to be on 24 seven. And so my biggest beef is like, I want to take all this energy and put it into my work so that I can mm -hmm. share the best possible work that I can not have to, to share the documentary, the behind the scenes thing of what it is that I'm making and how I feel about it. Even though that's like the Gary Vaynerchuk primary way of promoting, promoting, mm -hmm. promoting, because it's the easiest way to create content is to just be the narrator of your life. But Sometimes it's okay to not be interesting. Sometimes it's okay to. to Sometimes you know, it's okay not to like Gary V. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and you know, you know but, I, there's wisdom everywhere. But I, I do think that, I mean, people like him know how to play that game and and really maximize the work that you're creating. And and so I, I'm probably the worst person to ask about it because I just half-ass <laughs> it. I mean, I, I just, yeah. <laughs> I feel like at the end of the uh, day, I. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the energy to stay on social media a lot, so I have spurts. And who does? You know? <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, and that's where the schedulers come in, like Hootsuite. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So, so here's the last question I had prepared for today. Mm. Um, you know, you selflessly always bring on these guests and always talk about them. So, my last question here is: What are you currently working on? Like, what's next? Like. Not of the things that are, you know, so nebulous that it's, it's too early to say anything, but yeah, what's yeah. next? What, what can we see that's outside the podcast? Yeah. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned it. Thank you so much. That gives me an opportunity to plug in things. So I yeah. started a project in 2022 called the Coalition for Digital Narratives. That is a small website where I began a literary magazine to showcase absurdist short form work. And I act as the I guess the editor in chief and, and editor, magazine yeah. designer and sometimes 
the goal is to start doing more audio plays and um, and collaborative audio work, which I think would be really fun. But right now, it, it's just, again, a self-funded sort of project. And in the year that I've created this, I mean, we've produced four issues. The last one just came out, and it's been so phenomenal for me, you know, to have that sort of editorial responsibility and learn from. And in terms of writing and recording, for me, I have gone to fiction and plays again. So every, every month I'm I'm really cranking out things and submitting, which is something that I was not good at for the last probably seven years that, you know, when submitting, Oh, to like publication. Yeah. And... Yeah. For consideration, you know, whether it's, uh, it's poetry, fiction and things like that. And I got to say working on, on flash, flash fiction has been, like an awakening because when I was in high school and middle school, I was writing and reading nonstop and it, it, it was, it's just been like a beautiful homecoming to, to be able to crank out some, some pieces of fiction and, and start to, to create something that feels like a portfolio of work, like a body of work that, and that's what I really look forward to is, is to just continue this pace. Because like I said, Writing consistently, you know, when you have a when you have a kid and you have a, a full time job and other things is is difficult. But this is a beautiful time in my life now where I feel like I got the balance figured out, and I'm going to try to prolong that as as much as I can, with the added aspect of getting the work out, which um, mm -hmm. which you know has been lacking. But and, you were kind of sitting on it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah like it out there. yeah. And the last, the big thing this year, I mean, I I wrote a full length play for. Um, the Dramatist Guild end of play challenge, which they give you the month of April to write anything, you know, uh, you could write a 10 pages, you could write, you know, a one act. And I chose to write a full length play that I've been thinking about for a while. And, uh, it's about aliens. It's about family and all kinds of weird things. So that's what I, what I want to keep developing and, and really get the work out there because it's the shittiest thing that I've written. Like on paper, the draft is awful but it's the best story that I've written. Um, and, and so I feel like it has a well, lot you of can work. always polish the first draft. Oh so. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that yeah. was the thing is, is I hadn't written a full length in, in a couple of years. So that was like, it was burning in me. I'm like, am I still even a playwright? You know, what, what is this thing? And <laughs> this year has just been a blessing. And I think that's the well, mark. That, that imposter syndrome is no joke. Yeah. It does happen to us all. Yeah. Um, and I think we just got to not listen to it, you know, that's right. That's right. Just got to keep moving. But, uh, dude, you, you have, you have held the, uh, the room quite well. And I'm so grateful for you. That was, uh, <laughs> I well, feel like I, I'm venting, you know, I, I, you know? I, do, I do other podcasts as well. So it's not that I'm new to the game, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that's, that's, that's like super cool. Uh, speaking of new things, I, Yes, I purchased the Pinocchio art of, you know, making yeah. the Pinocchio book. We just released our first art book. Like, dude, oh, like yeah. I love those. I, I got the into the Spider-Verse one. All you right. know, I, I've got so many of these where they, they show you all the character designs I mean, everything that goes into it. And I was always like, man, I, I want one of those one day. Mm. And we just released it. Uh, um, we used Blurb, you know, uh, it's okay. one of these... Um, uh, what do you call them? Print-on-demand kind of things. Sure, sure. Uh, and so, if you want, you could do the digital PDF version for your iPad, or the exquisite, you know, high-quality yeah. photo finish, 
hardcover, um, and it was of my directorial debut, The Crystal Crypt. Mm. So it's got all the storyboards, it's got all the character designs for the animation, the props, I mean, everything. And, you know, I had always wanted one, and I, it never seemed not impossible, but it just it was like, well, you know, who's going to care? Who's going to? And I was like, you know what? This is the 10th anniversary of that film. We've got to do it. It's amazing. So kind of put that thing together. You know, my wife did, you know, she edited all the text and everything. And so uh, super, super excited about uh, unleashing that on the world. Okay. That's really awesome to hear. And I want to kind of turn the tables back on you here so that I can ask you (laughs) what the curation process of something like that is, because, you know, having done some indie short films before in, in a couple full lengths, it is it is like a like a titanic thing, you know, for for people who are doing it in the indie world. So I'm curious how did you curate that in from an emotional perspective because that's like <laughs> when you're looking back everything, I don't know if you're like me where everything feels so personal and everything has to be in there. How did you sift through and and make so, something worthwhile that's there? That's a good question. That's a good question. So it was a little bit of because at the time we were doing several crowdfunding campaigns Mm -hmm. and so uh, half of the stuff was already shared on social on these different things so that was kind of easy um but also you know in preparing everything for the live action shoot you know we we brought on um amazing la artist kiyoshi nakazawa uh, he calls himself lucky if you want to look him up online lucky nakazawa um, to do the storyboard. So we got him early. I mean, even before we did any um, crowdfunding, we sat in a hotel room in L.A., you know, we paid him, and we just kind of went through the script, like, okay, well, what does this composition look like, that kind of thing. So we, we had that. We had that. We had the social media posts. Um, we had all kinds of, um, you know, video, which didn't make it into the book. Um, but aside from the um, – because you saw the Crystal Crypt, right? Yeah. Did you see yeah. this one? I, I think I saw yeah, a bit so of it, yeah. It, it was, you know, 2D animation, it was CG, it was, you know, live action. And so for the animators, we had all kinds of reference material that we had to submit to them uh, in order for them to kind of hone in on what we were doing and all that kind of stuff. And so I kind of had all this stuff on hard drives in a Dropbox, you know. So it was just a matter of, you know, like you said, curating it. So, okay, so I'm sitting on this mountain of stuff. You know, what comes first? How are we going to separate the different chapters, if you will? Um, which there aren't really chapters in the book, but the table of contents tells you, okay, well, pencil to animating pencil tests are on, you know, from here to here, mm. props from here to here kind of thing. So, um, you know, it, it, took, it took a couple weeks, but it wasn't really as laborious as you would think because we had to be prepared mm. in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So looking back on this, because 10 years is a is a big milestone to, and just big enough to look back on a project of that size. Can I ask you what your thoughts are on your own project 10 years after the fact? And what are the feelings that you're left with uh, after so much time has passed? So... And we, you know, if, if you want to hear the complete history of this, go listen to my first uh, guest appearance on Arts Calling. Um, but, um, you know, I had not directed anything at that point. I was in the editor's bay, you know, for the longest time, you know, shooting little YouTube things with my daughters. Like, 
I've never taken on anything like that. And the project that we took on with the 2D animation and the spaceship set, I mean, it was very ambitious for a directorial debut and very expensive, might I add. So, <laughs> you know, we were, you know, it was, it was kind of like a learning experience and all of that. So on the one hand, if you do go to Vimeo and, and rent or purchase this film, it has been updated. Yes, I did a George Lucas. Uh, there were a few things that bugged me about it. There was a few little tiny things. And I was just like, ooh, I really dislike that. And I was like, you know what? It's so far from the film festival circuit. You know, I'm just going to go in there and fix the things that bug me. So there are a few things, color correction being one of them. Uh, you know, there, there, there was just one scene where you know, the animated character falls, and then when he gets up, he's pointing the wrong way. Fix mm, that. I see. And there was all these little things that nobody noticed, but I did. And it yeah, kind of hurt yeah. me. So that was one thing, which, you know, this year we released the 10-year remastered version mm. because I just had to. I had to fix all the little things. <laughs> um, but also, I'm, I'm, you know, the reason I did it was because I, growing up, you know, I was born in Los Angeles, like in all of those you know, around all of Hollywood and all of that. And Star Wars was huge. Like, mm-hmm. it it made such an impact on me. And then when I was older and we went to the prequels, I felt betrayed. <laughs> I was like, what is this? This is not, <laughs> you know, this glossy, you know, spaceship. Like, what is going mm-hmm. on here? And so, in you know, I was just, like, consistently, like, talking smack. Like, I hate the prequels, da-da-da. So the Crystal Crypt was my way of, putting my money where my mouth was, right? Mm. Like, could you do better then? It's so easy to sit on your ass and talk shit about a movie. Could you do better? And we ended up taking the film to Comic-Con. You know, it's won several awards. So I feel like we did. You know, I, <laughs> I answered my own question, and yes, I could do better, and we did. And it's, I mean, the film still holds up. It, it the world premiere was at the because it's a it's an adaptation of a Philip K. Dick uh, short story that mm-hmm. he wrote for a magazine, right? And it the world premiere and the first award that we won was at the Philip K. Dick Film Festival in oh, Brooklyn in 2013. Awesome. So it's just been so validating. So it's just I'm glad that you know all the blood, sweat, and tears that we put into it um, has been you know appreciated by the people who view it um and i hope that the art book just you know goes one step further and kind of showing you you know all of you know you you watch this 25 minute film you're like okay that's great yeah but look at all of the people and all of the artists and all of the different you know steps that it took to get to that final product Mm. so uh yeah oh that's that's phenomenal and i want to congratulate you on that man because that is uh that is a big leap to take, you know, not only to to work on the film and galvanize everyone to come together toward that collective cause. I mean, the movies are a miracle. They really are. Whether they're they're small budget or big budget, they are definitely a marvel to behold. So I hope that uh, folks check it out. But uh, I'm also curious what's on the horizon for you outside of the the existential marketing questions, you know, and, and kind of like how to move yeah. forward, you know, getting the word out. What what are you worried about right now, and what are you looking um, to to get done? Well, you know, so at this point, um, I, I love short films, and I'm going to probably continue to do them. I feel like 
the best short films are almost like a really good joke, right? Mm-hmm. It's short, it's sweet, but if you nail it right and you kind of, you know, do the magic trick where you're kind of hiding it and then you spring <laughs> it on them kind of thing, like it's beautiful, right? Yeah. But also I feel at this point in my career, in my output, like now it's time to cut my teeth on the feature. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never not done a feature because I didn't think I could. I just, the ideas that I'm sitting on, the screenplays that I'm sitting on, I can't use an El Mariachi budget. I, you know, like yeah. maybe it's my yeah. problem. You know, maybe I need to find something like a hateful eight, which can take place in one cabin. You know, I don't know, but like, <laughs> you know, the things that I'm sitting on, they're kind of at like an indie level budget, which to do it right would be you know, one million, two million, you know, that kind of thing. You, people look at, you know, films like Pulp Fiction. I mean, it's really, yes, there was some, you know, big budget actors, but it's like six locations mm-hmm. altogether, you know, and ensemble casts usually. So, um, uh, and yet, how much did it cost? Forget the marketing budget. Pulp Fiction, it took eight million to do the production of it. Pre-production, production, post-production. That's kind of the world I'm living in, and so right now, you know, I'm sitting on a couple scripts. There's one um, which is based on a book. Uh, it's a historical fiction called Lords of St. Thomas. Um, Jackson Ellis, who worked on my uh, shot during COVID short, Oh, the Guilt, uh, we came up with that story together. Um, he wrote the novel. Um, him and his brother kind of are working on making it into a screenplay. Um, And it's about the last guy who, so uh, for people who aren't quite uh, aware of like Nevada history, there's Hoover Dam. And when they first built Hoover Dam, there was a town called St. Thomas and the government was paying the townspeople to get the heck out of there. Like this is going to be completely underwater. We're paying you like go move somewhere else, go to Vegas, go to, you know, St. George, Utah, whatever it is. This place is going to be underwater. And there was one real guy named Henry Lord, and he didn't take the money. And legend has it that when the water hit his you know, front stoop, he got in his little boat <laughs> and, and paddled away. Um, so this historical fiction, you know, it, it makes believe that he actually he – was, he was single, but it makes believe that he had a family. And, you know, we come to present day. The son is now older – and then he remembers that, you know, in a basement somewhere, he hid something. Mm. Is it still there? And if you come to Nevada, you can actually go to the St. Thomas ghost town, uh, and you can see the steps that led up to the um, schoolhouse. Wow. If you go to where the mechanic shop was, you can see where they dropped down, where they would change people's oil. I mean, it's crazy. So that stuff's still there. Mm. Um you know, and so right now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to fundraise for that. You know, I'm, I'm kind of – I read this book of directors that came out in the 90s, uh, and there was one anecdote about Sam Raimi, and they had interviewed him, and he was talking about the first Evil Dead. And they were like, well, how did you do that? He's like, well, it was essentially a, a student film, but, you know, him and Bruce Campbell, who were friends and college buddies, they hit the pavement. They went all around Michigan looking for people, trying to fund this thing. They found one dentist, and he was like, well, I can't you know, cover the whole thing. I'm going to give you a check, but let's see some of my other friends. So four dentists, 
cut a $50,000 check each, and Evil Dead was created. So, you know, number one, they just did Evil Dead Rises, right? So guess who is still making royalties every time the first Evil Dead sells a Blu-ray? Those four dentists, right? Oh, my right? God. So, I'm looking for my four dentists. Bless I, I your dentist. I don't know if that's, you know, is it is it real estate developers? I don't know. But I'm looking for people who have always dreamed of being an executive producer where that they would love to have their name, you know, that kind of thing. So that's kind of the process that I'm in. So we can fundraise for this Lords of St. Thomas. If anyone's interested, the novel's out there. Um, you know, read it. It's such a good read. Um Anyway, yeah, so that's kind of what I'm working on right now, like trying to, you know, get this little pebble to become an avalanche so that we have the adequate funds to recreate this town that no longer exists. Mm. Oh, man, that is beautiful and exciting. And I'm yeah, really and a hoping... a bunch of other things, like you. Like, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. We're all working on 7,000 things, <laughs> things, but I think, I think that a, a, a nice indie feature to kind of show that I can do more than just the shorts. Mm-hmm. I think that's my next yeah. thing. That's so. the whale. You're, you're on your mm-hmm. way and mm-hmm. it's Looking super for my Moby Dick. That's right. Well, listen, man, I, I want to thank you so much for this. This has been such a blast and it's congratulations on breaking a hundred. That's, oh, thanks. That's huge, man. That's huge. So yeah. congratulations. Uh, it's, it's been a blast. And again, thank you so much for inspiring me. I know that, uh, you know, these conversations are just a little bit of your time, but, but you've done more to help my psyche, you know, and, uh, it's, it's wonderful to see. You're doing good stuff. So keep it up, man. All right, man. Well, I'll let you enjoy your Sunday. Thanks for being a badass. Thanks for turning the tables on me. Right back. And, uh, (laughs) I'm going to post links to all of your stuff and all the things that we talked about on the podcast so that folks can check it out. But you know, we're going to talk again, right? You know, like, give me six months and <laughs> All right, awesome. man. Happy writing, happy directing, and I'll talk to you soon. Right back in. All right, bye.